John 15, verses 1 through 17. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. Now am I on? There we go. That was me. It wasn't them. Good morning, family of God. Today... We are going to talk about the freedom of surrender. That's our theme. And I want to begin by just stating this spiritual truth. My joy and my spiritual flourishing are directly proportional to the degree to which I have surrendered to God's loving authority in my life. My joy and my spiritual fruitfulness are directly proportional to the degree to which I have totally surrendered to the loving authority of Jesus in my life. And that's true for you. 
Your fullness of joy doesn't mean you can't ever be sad. You can be sad and joyful at the same time. But the fullness of joy God wants to give you and the fruitfulness of life, the integrity of character, the righteousness of the life and the spiritual impact in the lives of others. All of that stuff is directly proportional to the degree to which you've surrendered to God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now, we're using this word surrender, and I just want you to think about that word for a second. Sometimes we use that word surrender in like a military battle context where there's somebody who's an enemy and you're surrendering to them. But that's not who God is. As a matter of fact, not, not only is he not our enemy, but in John 15, he just told us he's our friend. God calls us friend. But our friend is the king of kings. So here's a direct uh, definition of surrender. I googled this morning. Merriam-Webster said this about surrender. It's the action of yielding one's person or giving up the possession of something, especially into the power of another. And that's what we're talking about. Yielding our person, saying, I am not my own. I am God's. And everything in my life, my plans for the future, my heart, my character, my schedule, my daily decisions... I want to yield it completely to my loving king. Now, we're talking about this theme today for several reasons. One, because it's like one of the most important themes in the Bible. That's one of the reasons we're talking about it. Um, Two, though, in just a few weeks, the merger that we voted on a few weeks ago is going to become a living reality. As a matter of fact, our plan is that the first Sunday we all worship together, Christ Community Church and Rancho Village come together, is going to be Palm Sunday in a few weeks. Doesn't that sound like fun? Fun way to usher in this season. And so Chauncey and I just put aside, and we had some conversation with Jared also, and put aside our planned sermon series that we were doing and just said, we've only got a few weeks. How do we need to spiritually prepare for what God's about to do? And that's why last week we were talking about community expectations. And as we talked about that today, we felt like God was leading us back to John 15, where we were just a few months ago. It hasn't been long since we were in this passage. And Romans 12, 1 and 2, to talk about the freedom of surrender. And I'll tell you, last week, I, I don't know if you had a good week or a bad week or a hard week or a mixed week. I had a great week. I was in the mountains in Colorado with my family and some of the college students and high school students and young adults from our church. But Thursday night, uh, a pastor was sharing and he was talking about the discipleship journey of Peter and Peter having once made the decision to trust and follow Jesus, but struggling and then taking a further step of surrender. And, and that night, as I was just talking to God about my own life, uh, there was just a sense in which I was saying, Jesus, you love me so much. Jesus, you're so good. You're so faithful. I want to utterly surrender to you. Is there any other areas of my life? And the Lord just started bringing to my mind uh, thought patterns and attitudes and things that uh, he was calling me lovingly to give over to him. And what it felt like was freedom. Felt like love inviting me to freedom. So everybody say freedom. Everybody say surrender. Those are our two key words. And the thing about it is, it's not like I hadn't surrendered to Jesus already. The truth is, I have surrendered to Jesus and I am surrendering to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, the truth is you have surrendered to Jesus and you are surrendering, ongoing to Jesus. I first made the decision to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, to surrender to his grace, his love, his authority about 32 years ago. And now 32 years later, I'm surrendering. 
to him. It's an ongoing thing. Now, let me show you how these this theme shows up in our two texts today. John chapter 15 and Romans chapter 12. First, let's just think about again and picture in our minds the metaphor that Jesus is using in John 15 verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And then in a moment later, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches in verse five. So the picture in our mind is this. I'm a branch. You're a branch. If we are healthy, we will be growing and we'll have nice green leaves on us and we'll have or actually we'll have big purple fruit on us in this case. We'll have big purple, juicy grapes growing on us. We'll be producing fruit. If we are not growing, if there's not big, juicy purple grapes coming off of us, that means there's a problem. It means we're not alive. And what it's saying is God is committed to our spiritual flourishing. He wants us to be alive, to be growing, to be bearing good fruit. And I'm the branch. Jesus is the vine. You're the branch. Jesus is the vine. He's our life source to the degree to which we're surrendered to him, abiding in him, trusting his love for us, connected to him. We don't have to try and force out spiritual productivity. The life of Christ in us just leads to our flourishing. It happens naturally. Jesus, the son of God, is the vine and God, our father, is the vine dresser. And when we talked about this a couple months ago, I reminded you that in the ancient world, they didn't grow these grapevines up on big trellises. They were spread out on the ground. So you can picture the vine dresser on his knees or hunched over, bending down, getting down into the details of your life, of my life, of our church, saying he's so committed to helping us flourish fully that he's going to nurture us. He's going to protect us. He's going to prune us, cutting away anything that is lifeless and sometimes even cutting away parts of us that are alive, but they're growing in a direction that's going to hinder the shape he's trying to make us grow. He's pruning us. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Now, the second thing I want you to notice from John 15 is this. The text is emphasizing two things that we have to hold together in our hearts and minds if we're going to experience the freedom of surrender. And the first one is the perfect love of Jesus. And the second one is the absolute authority of Jesus. We're not necessarily used to seeing those two things going together because very often people with power and authority in our lives have misused that power and authority in ways that has hurt us. And sometimes even when they haven't misused us, we still just didn't like it because we want to be in control. But in either case, we struggled to experience the liberating power of perfectly wise and loving authority because we've never encountered it in our human experience. But in Jesus, we find the one person in the history of the world who is absolutely perfectly loving. And at the same time, he is absolutely in charge. He has absolute authority. Both of these are in the text. The love of Jesus is apparent in many ways. He takes the initiative with us. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Before you were seeking God, God sought you. You never would have started seeking God unless God had sought you. If you're here today and you know that you're far from God, but there's part of you that says, I want to be close to God. That's because God already came close to you. He takes the initiative. He loves us while we're rebelling against him. The text tells us that Jesus opens his heart and the father's heart towards us. He teaches us this is the king of the universe. When the king calls you his friend, it doesn't mean that you're equals. I'm definitely not an equal to Jesus. He's the authority. This is not a parallel relationship, but it's an intimate relationship. And when the king of the universe doesn't just say, do this, do that. He says, 
do this, do that, and let me tell you why. Let me show you my heart and what I'm up to. Let me uh, bring you into the most intimate details of my plans. That's friendship. That's love. He opens his heart to us. But the clearest picture of Christ's love for us in this text, of course, is verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Ultimate mark of friendship is somebody being willing to die, to give their very life so that you can live, so you can flourish and thrive. And that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God himself bearing weakness, sin, death, shame on the cross, bearing my guilt and my pain and your guilt and your pain and death and sin so that we don't have to. Dying for us and rising victorious so that we can trust in him and by grace be forgiven and healed. That's perfect love. It tells us that there is no limit to how far Jesus is willing to go to do what in your life. He tells us right here, I've said these things to you that your joy may be full and so that you can bear fruit. Jesus is saying there is no limit to how far I am willing to go to make you perfectly joyful forever and to help you flourish and be the absolute most thriving best version of yourself. Everybody say perfect love. We also see absolute authority. Jesus expects absolute obedience. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, that does not mean if you obey Jesus, he'll start loving you. And if you disobey Jesus, he stops loving you. He makes that very clear. He loved us before our obedience. But we talked about a few months ago to abide means to make it your dwelling place, to make it your home. So what he's saying is, I love you. Nothing's going to stop me from loving you. And when you're walking in obedience to my commands as the king with authority, you're living at home in my love. And when you rebel against my authority, you're leaving your home to go to a distant country, which is not going to be good for you. But he's saying, I expect obedience. And obedience is the place where you can experience the freedom of living in my perfect love for you. Or look, look at verse 14, he just says straightforwardly, you are my friends if you do what I command you. This is why I'm saying this is an intimate relationship, but not a symmetrical relationship. There's one king and he calls for and expects absolute obedience. Or we could flip back a page. If you have your Bible, you could go look at John 14, 15, um, in which he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So here's a king with total perfect love and with absolute authority. And he says, obey my commands, obey my commands. We, we are going to ask you in community group just to think about some of the commands of Jesus and maybe make a list of some of them. But you could just start thinking about all the things Jesus says right now. What does Jesus say about money? He says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And the degree to which you don't serve money is apparent in lots of areas of your life. You could think about Luke twelve thirty two, where Jesus uh, excuse me, 33, where he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fade. So what he's saying is obedience to me equals a, a radical commitment to pursue greater simplicity and contentment for the purpose of greater generosity. That's a command from Jesus. If we obey it, we're abiding in his love. If we disobey it, if we serve money, if we use money to get more and more for ourselves instead of trying to pursue greater simplicity for the purpose of greater generosity, we're leaving home. He says, obey my commands. We could think, what does Jesus say about truthfulness? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
If I'm going around telling lies, if I make promises and then don't keep them, I'm living in disobedience. But if I tell the truth, even when it hurts me or makes me look bad, causes other people to think things about me that I don't want them to think, if I keep my promises, even when it hurts, I'm showing myself to be a friend of Jesus. I'm staying home in his love. You can think about what does Jesus say about sexuality? He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying not only in our bodies, but in our minds, he's calling us to this radical chastity in which we say sex is a good gift from God to be enjoyed within his boundaries, within the context of marriage between a man and a woman that have entered into covenant love. And I'm going to honor that not only at the level of my actions with my body, but with my thoughts and with my heart. As long as I'm doing that, I'm walking in obedience. I'm staying home. When I walk outside of that, I'm leaving home. We can think about what does he say about how we treat other people and how we think about other people and how we feel about other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm as committed to the flourishing of my neighbor as I am committed to my own flourishing. He says, even love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Even if people wrong us, we've got to pursue their good. That doesn't mean we um, acquiesce with a situation of ongoing injustice and abuse. We say no to that. We confront it, but we keep loving the other person and praying for them and desiring their good. He talks about this in situations where we sin against each other. Luke 17, Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go confront him about it to his face. If he repents, you've gained your brother and you forgive him and you seek reconciliation. And if he doesn't repent, you get somebody else to go with you and talk to him. So we're talking to each other instead of talking about each other and we're pursuing reconciliation. Jesus is clear about how to handle that. And when we disobey those commands, we're leaving home. And when we obey those commands, we're showing us to be friends of Jesus. We could think, what does he say about his mission? He gave the church a mission. The church uh, triumphant is a term theologians use to talk about Christians that are already in heaven. They are at rest. They're having fun. They're partying forever. Doesn't that sound awesome? But we're the church militant. And the church militant does not exist for ourselves. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, which means to the degree that I'm obeying that commandment of Jesus, which he's given me as his church to go to people, to prioritize leaving my comfort zone, suffering, sacrificing, denying myself in order to go uh, share the gospel with people that don't know Christ and to help people grow in their faith. I'm obeying Jesus. I'm showing myself to be his friend. I'm living at home in his love. And when I to the degree that I'm not trying to help other people know Jesus, I'm disobeying him. Now, we could keep going for a long time. But what we're trying to do right now is to make a connection between the total love of Jesus. Everybody say perfect love and absolute authority of Jesus. Everybody say absolute authority. To surrender to the loving authority looks like abiding in his love, living at home in his love, obeying every one of his commands, not picking and choosing which ones we want to. And it looks like submitting to the pruning work of the father. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse two. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Pruning. That's a thing that farmers know a lot about. I know a little bit about. I need to go prune the crepe myrtle in front of my house because it's early spring now. But you cut off stuff that's dead. So there's more energy for stuff that's growing and alive. And sometimes there's something that is alive, but it's growing in a direction other than the direction the vine dresser knows it needs to grow for maximal fruitfulness. So sometimes you cut off something, even if it's alive, 
to make more space and more energy to grow in the direction that the vine dresser intends. Now, the thing about it is it says, if I'm walking with God, he's going to do this for me whether I want him to or not to. Then say, go prune yourself. Right? It says, the Father's going to prune you. But surrender means obeying the commandments of Jesus and yielding to his pruning, whatever that might be. So as I was dealing with God this week, I was just praying. And I, I said, I, I'm honest with God. You should try. We should all be honest to God, right? And I said, Father, I don't like getting pruned. I don't like getting pruned, but I trust your love. Prune me. Prune me. Whatever's dead in me, cut it out. There's things that are alive in me, but they're growing in direction other than your perfect plan. I want your best. Prune me, Father. I submit to you. Now, all this leads us to Romans 12, 1 and 2, which gives us another way of thinking about the same thing. Look at verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. So once again, we're starting with the love and the mercy of God. You might underline those words, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What a metaphor. Everybody say, living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. We used to sing in the early days of Christ Community Church, a little Will Reagan worship chorus. Some of you all remember it. You provide the fire, I'll provide the sacrifice. You provide the spirit, I will open up inside. What does that mean? You provide the fire. What's the fire in this metaphor? The fire is God. The fire is God's holy love. What's the sacrifice? Me. You provide the fire, God. I'll provide the sacrifice. What that means is, you can think of the metaphor in two ways. One, I'm a lump that's a mix of gold and other stuff. So, your, God, plunge me into your holy love to refine me, to get rid of the other stuff so I can be pure gold. That's part of the metaphor. The other metaphor is make me like that burning bush that Moses saw that was on fire but not consumed, that the holy love of God would permeate who I am so it flows out of me in every relationship. You provide the fire. I'll provide the sacrifice means I surrender control to you, God. A living sacrifice. That's what real worship is. It's a lifestyle of surrender. It's a lifestyle of obedience. How can I possibly give up my life to that degree to another person? Isn't that slavery? Well, it's slavery if you do it to anyone but God. It's freedom if you do it to God. Because you're made in the image of God, which means you're formed to reflect his goodness. And part of what that means is you're 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 designed from the inside out to dwell in his presence, to worship him, to live by faith in his word, to love him and to, then to let that love flow out towards other people. And we can do that in view of his mercies. Paul just spent the first 11 chapters of this book talking about the fact that we didn't love God first. He loved us first, that God came near in the person of Jesus Christ and died on the cross for our sins so that by grace, through faith, we can be forgiven of our sins, adopted into God's family, reconciled with God, receive the gift of peace with God, not a wage that we earn, but a gift he gives freely. And now he's saying, by the mercy of God, now you respond by offering yourself to him as a living sacrifice. And what's that going to look like? Well, part of what it's going to look like is what's described in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When, it, when Paul talks about the world, he doesn't mean the earth and the trees and the clouds. and doesn't just mean people. He's talking about 
the anti-God cultural forces at work in every culture. Are there some anti-God forces at work in our culture? Are there some lies being told? Are there some values being upheld that are different than God's values? I mean, they're around us all the time. And the degree to which we are more plugged in and being influenced and imitating those values, those ideas, those ideologies, then God's word, we're going to be conformed to the pattern of the world and our thoughts and our emotions and our attitudes and our actions. But being transformed by the renewal of our mind means that the scriptures, the stories of scripture, the promises of God, the commandments of God, especially the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Psalms, the prayers, the poems, the Proverbs, all of it is uh, reshaping our hearts so that our attitudes and our thoughts and our values are not being shaped by whatever music that we're listening to or whatever social media we're being plugged into or whatever values that we're here absorbing on podcasts or whatever. It's coming from God. From God's word. Now, here's the thing. This doesn't mean I've got a value and I'm going to go find some Bible verses for it. If it's like I've got this value, I've got this truth. Now I'm going to go find some Bible verses to support that. That's always an unhealthy place to be. The devil does that in Luke chapter four. He has some things on his heart for Jesus to do. And he can go quote a Bible verse to make it sound like that's what Jesus should do. As a matter of fact, Vladimir Putin did it this week at a pro-war rally. He quoted our text. John chapter 15, it says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends to support soldiers dying for Russia. Now, that was a twisted, wrenching the words of Jesus, which are about the gospel, Christ lovingly laying down his life for us to justify an unjust, oppressive invasion of a of another country. So my point here is um, we don't want to be like the devil or like Vladimir Putin. Right. I don't want to say I've got values that are driving my life. And now I'm going to go find some Bible verses. What I want to do is say, God, I want to live in the text of your holy word so that these stories reshape my imagination so that my hopes. I'm not just trying to use you to get what I want. I'm saying, God, change what I want so that my hopes and my desires are aligned with what you say is truly good. I want to submit to your commandments and to your authority. Now. I want to do something for a second to model for you something that Pastor Pete Scazzaro modeled for me recently in his podcast. And thinking about this issue of the degree to which I am and am not surrendered to Jesus. I have surrendered to Jesus and I am surrendering to Jesus. And I've got on my piece of paper a little T-chart, a little table that I made. Okay, you might want to make one for yourself in your bulletin or you could do it at home later. But there's two sides of it. And on the left, I wrote the new true self. The new true self. And on the right, I wrote the old false self. So this language comes from a lot of Bible passages. Last week, we were looking at Colossians 3, where it said, take off the old man or the old self that is in you. It is in you. But it's the old self, who you were before Christ. It's sinful impulses. And... It said, put on the new self that is also in you. And that's who God has called you to be. But I call him the true self and the false self because God, what God is saying is, I have created you to be the new self. The old self is in you, but it's not who you really are. It's not who I've made you to be. But it's tricky. I mean, sometimes the, the Paul will say, you have crucified the flesh with its desires 
You must consider yourselves dead to sin and sin lives within you. Put it to death. So is it dead or am I supposed to kill it? And Paul's like, yeah, it's like a metaphor. And the point is, you've got all sorts of good stuff in you that God created you to be, that the Holy Spirit is calling to life in you. But you've also got bad habits and bad impulses that are still in you. Their power to dominate your life has now been broken by grace through Jesus Christ. But there's an ongoing call to put those ones to death. That's the old false self. Got it? Got the picture? So everybody say, true self, false self. So I'm just going to read you some of the things that are on my list. They're contradictory because I'm contradictory. New true self. I am a man of faith. I deeply trust God's love, God's word, God's faithfulness, and God's promises. That's true about me. Also true on the other side. I am troubled by persistent doubts of God's love for me. She said, that's a contradiction. Correct. I'm a contradiction. That's the point. True self, I am very focused on following Jesus. False self, I can get very distracted from my central calling to follow Jesus. Both those things are true about me. True self, I have set my hope on the second coming of Jesus. There's nothing I want more than to hear my Lord Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. False self, one of the ways I get distracted is I get distracted by all kinds of lesser hopes. And set my affections on them so that they dominate my thoughts. True self, I am a kind man who cares deeply about other people. False self, I can become very self-focused and then I get emotionally distant and insensitive and can be abrupt with people. True self, by God's grace, I am disciplined in self-control. That's true. False self, also true. At times, I act out in ways that are impulsive that later I regret. Say things that I wish I could take back, which is the opposite of self-control. My new self, I have been trained by God's wisdom for decades. False self, I still act foolish and naive from time to time. True self, I am very forgiving. That's true about me. Lots of people have really hurt me and I... Glad to embrace them. False self, I struggle to release hurts to God sometimes. I forgive and then I find that my emotions haven't quite caught up with what I said with my will I wanted to do. True self, I am very zealous for the salvation of lost people. I want everybody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But false self, it's also true of me that when I get discouraged, I can become self-focused and lose that zeal. True self, new self. I'm committed to live for God's glory alone. False self. Also, give me a little bit of that. Glory. True self. I am secure in who God made me to be. False self. I struggle with insecurity and giving too much weight to other people's opinions of me. I could keep going. Here's the thing. True self. False self. People sometimes call it uh, your shadow, your dark side. We tend to be too simplistic in our thinking and think either one of those is true or the other one is true. So when we're being super prideful, we just think the left side part of the column is true. I'm very loving and jealous of zealous and filled with hope and kind and all those things all the time. And then we recognize that that ain't the case. 
and we slip into despair. Oh, I'm and we start saying all these all the false self stuff. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. The truth is that I'm both. Here's the other truth. Jesus knew that his disciples were both. He knew they were about to deny him. He's talking to them. Man, God's about to prune you. He's calling them to obedience. But in John 15, verse three, he said, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's also true that he said, I chose you. What we're saying here is God knows your list better than you do. Now, I'm the only one who read my list in front of everybody. Um, but my list could keep going. I read to you 10 items uh, and each of them I read a sentence. God could write a few books on each of those items and he could keep going for like 350 more things. Right. There's a lot of good stuff and a lot of messed up stuff inside of John Mark Hart. And what I'm trying to model for you is saying the freedom of surrender comes to from recognizing God sees all of that and all of that is you. I mean, the true the true self is your true self, but the false self is also yourself. Is how the Bible talks. All of that is you. God sees all of it. And that's the you that he loves and accepts. And he's counted righteous in Jesus Christ. And his grace is such that he says, um, let me call you out of that right column over into that left column. Here's the difference between the condemning work of our flesh and of Satan and that we do to one another when we're not walking by the spirit. The condemning work is to, to list our sins List the false self stuff and say, that is who you are. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit will also list our sins, but it'll do the opposite. It'll read the right column and then it'll say, but that's not who you are. The left column is who you are. So the devil says that right column is who you are and therefore despair and give up because it's hopeless for you. And how could God ever love you? The Holy Spirit says, I love you. And these sins in you on the right column, that's not who you are. And I'm calling you to freedom. Which means surrender is saying, God, thank you for loving me. You have loved me. You died on the cross to prove your love for me. I'm surrendering and I'm saying, God, everything that's on this left column that you say is my true self, pour miracle grow on it. Let it grow. Let it blossom. And everything that's on the right column, I want to kill it. I surrender it to you, Lord. I surrender it to you. Prune me by your grace. Now, we're about to do something a little different. I'm stopping now. Normally, I would keep preaching for a while longer. But I'm not going to. Uh, I want to invite Kent up here to come. And Kent is going to stand up here and do some finger plucking. And I was was on the, uh, is that funny? Finger plucking on the clock. He's going to strum the old guitar for a minute behind me. And um, yeah, it's great. (laughs) I got distracted by everyone thinking that was funny. Okay. Kent is going to play the guitar for a second behind me. And. What we're going to take, do is something that we have not done before. I don't think we've ever done this in 12 years. So if this makes you super uncomfortable, it just probably won't happen again for 12 more years, okay? Unless it's great. <laughs> um, then we may do it again. But we're, we're going to take a t- some time just for him to strum the guitar and for us to respond in prayer before we take the Lord's Supper. Some extended time, several, several minutes here. What I'm about to do is come kneel right here. I want to invite you to respond spiritually and physically. Now, there's several ways you can respond. One of them would just be bowing your head where you are and praying and talking to God. One of them would be getting on your knees at that pew. I would invite you, if you'd be willing, to come join me up here. The elders are going to come up here also. And we're just going to get on our knees. God can hear your heart no matter what your bodily posture is. But the Bible calls us to certain bodily postures. When it says, lift your hands to the Lord or bow before the Lord, your maker. 
because those bodily postures are supposed to express our hearts. But even if you're not feeling it, don't think it's not authentic. The way to be authentic is to do what God says with your body and get your ask him to help you get your heart aligned. Okay. And so um, there's something symbolic about people coming together and kneeling together and saying we as a community are submitting to you. But what we're trying to pray is prayers of surrender. God, show me where I'm letting my false self hold the reins and thus resisting your Holy Spirit so I can release that and the new creation that I am in Christ Jesus, surrender to your Holy Spirit, can be in control in my life. Okay? Um, so you can come up here and pray. If you want me or one of our elders or a friend to pray with you, just come tap us on the shoulder and we would be glad to pray with you and to pray for you. Um, also, if... Um, the, the lack, this being less structured and more spontaneous, uh, bothers you and you're not sure what else to do. Here's what you could do. Just pull out your bulletin, pull out a pen, and that chart that I just made, just make one of those on your bulletin and say, Holy Spirit, show me what's my true self. Show me what's my false self. And show me how I can give the reins to the true self. And make that your act of prayer right now. But we're just going to uh, be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And we've been praying that the Holy Spirit would make this a time of surrender of healing, of reconciliation. Also, if there's somebody, if there's a relationship where you know you've wronged somebody, you need to make it right, just go right now and ask their forgiveness. Confess your sin, ask for the forgiveness, and make it right. So let me say a prayer for you. Can't You can go ahead and... I don't want to make everybody laugh again by suggesting you can play the guitar, but you can go ahead and do that. Let me, let me say a prayer for us. And then we'll take some time to respond in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. We know it is true Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that your love is perfect and your authority is absolute. Though sometimes it's hard for us to feel that. So we say we believe, help our unbelief. We know that you see the good and the bad in us more clearly than we do. And you love us just as we are in Christ Jesus. We also know you're calling us to the freedom of greater surrender. So I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit now. Help us to pray as you would have us pray. Help us to Repent as you would have us repent. Heal us where we need to be healed. Reconcile us where we need to be reconciled. Lord, as I'm thinking about this just as disciples of Jesus, but also as we're going to merge, I know this is going to be a time of spiritual warfare. I know that. But James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I know that if we're surrendered by your grace, we're invincible. And the degree to which we're not surrendered, we're vulnerable. So we say, Lord, help us at this moment. We want to be utterly surrendered to you. Pray in Jesus' name.